Come, let's all stand. Welcome this wonderful man of God, Bishop Richard Mark. Hallelujah. That was a nice hand clap for me. Before you sit down, why don't you give it up for Jesus? Come on. Hallelujah. He is God all by himself. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Hallelujah. Amen. That's good. Sit down. Love you. Thank you for making me always feel welcome in your, in your house. This is my home away from home. And for those of you who don't, who don't know me, I think your pastor just said it. We go back. We got roots. We, we go back a very, very long way. And we've been very much a part of this house and its history. And uh, as well as your pastor has been part of our house and its history. God found me in this house when I was running from him. And your pastor has been a voice of instruction and inspiration to me in the formative years. It's 24 years we're looking at this year uh, since that happened. It seemed like only yesterday when your church went on 116th Street in Harlem. And this woman and I were sitting down there in the middle towards the back on the right-hand side on a Sunday morning trying to hide. Just want to hear a word and pay our tithes and go home. And the man of God got prophetic on me. I ain't going to tell you the rest is why I'm here this morning. I honor the Lord Jesus so much. He is, um, I got chills as you were talking about uh, your journey and how God uh, just found you every time you got discouraged, every time you, you felt insignificant, overwhelmed, wanted to quit. I got chills, man, listening to that because I think I've had similar experiences. And I, it just reminds me again of why this church is so important and why this work that you're doing is so important that wherever you find yourself now in that process, that all of you that are here, you're on this journey with this man of God. Whatever God is about to do in his life and with his life and through his life, he's about to, if you would just hitch on to this wagon right here, God's about to take you all someplace and this significance that God prophesied over this church includes you. You're a part of that. And that's just good news. And you know, every now and again, it's good to remind ourselves and to let our people remember that though we may at, at, in, some, in some moments of our lives feel like, why are we here? What are we doing we need to remember there's a bigger picture here. And that God sees something in a congregation that we often miss, we often don't see. But let me tell you, and I'm saying this from my heart because I know your pastor well, I know this church. This church right here is, is destined for greatness. It is destined for greatness. It is. As long as he keeps believing that, and he keeps leading. Now, he just said something that I, I jumped a little bit because he said he just retired yesterday. Dangerous territory, man. That's what I call stepping out in faith. But God will honor that. God, I remember when I had to retire from my job. I was making good money. In fact, I could have I retired two years ago when I hit 55 with a pension, I would have been socially secure. 
comfortably well off. And I quit that job, man, and I ran for ministry. But God has honored that. And I'm telling you, God's going to honor you. And the latter, though, you, though you, your, your beginnings may seem small, the latter end is going to greatly increase. I haven't started preaching, but I got to tell you this about what I know. This man has so much in him. I'm not hyping this. When I, when I used to walk with him back in the 90s, this man used to run things on the East Coast for Promise Keepers. Y'all know Promise Keepers is an international, is one of the biggest things I've ever been a part of. And back in the 90s, I was hanging on to his coattails when this man was running the East Coast for Promise Keepers. I was getting into places I didn't belong because of him. I'm, I'm with Victor Nassari, man. Backstage, places I wasn't supposed to, because of this man, because this man, the, the, these people from Colorado saw a gift of organization and leadership in this man that they said, you the East Coast guy, let me tell you something, he represented, he represented, some of y'all don't know because y'all don't go back that far, but this man represented, I was so proud to tell people, uh, <clears throat> I'm with, I'm with Victor Nazario. That, that name opened doors. You understand? So none of that, what God has put in you, and, and all the stuff you've been through, Pastor, God was just seasoning all of that. God was just, God was just, just, just seasoning you, all of the experience and the knowledge, because what you are now, we're looking almost 20 years later, is vastly different. You are light years away from, from those. Those were not your glory days. Those were the days of your beginning. The glory days are yet to come. Man, I remember when Bloomberg was wanted to become mayor. He had to come through this man's place. I was on 116th Street that, that Tuesday morning in our pastor's weekly fellowship, and Mike, Mike Bloomberg was passing through Harlem, and he heard, you got to go to this man's church and get prayed for by him. I was there when he came up the stairs with his coffee mug in his hand, and, uh, and my wife was there too, and Mike Bloomberg, we didn't know who he was, we just knew he was this little businessman, billionaire guy coming up the stairs, very low-key, and he stood on a crate, he, and all us pastors listened to his very brief speech, very low-key, and, and then we all gathered around, and we had to, who's this man's hand, was, we had to go into midst of the circle and laid hands on that man and pray. And all us pastors stood there and brother tell you, we lit that place up, started speaking in tongues. He turned colors. You know? <laughs> but we prayed. And the next day, it was that same week, or the next following week, only a few days later, he was elected mayor. But, but those were just the beginning, Pastor, of God honoring you. But I won't forget, in case you did, I won't forget the significance that God has stamped you with and stamped the church that you pastor with. And I'm telling you, those days may be behind you now because greater days are yet to come. Greater days are yet to come. So greetings from New Rochelle. It's good to be with you today. Um, I feel like I need to speak to this courageous step that you just taken today, so I'm going to preach something for you this morning. 
but um, and apologize for being late. You know, I preach and then I run here, so I didn't mean to make you sweat like that. <laughs> I was right on time. And, uh, you know, this what you saw shining was the sun reflecting off of my, <laughs> my forehead. That's the glory. <laughs> That's the glory. Amen. Hallelujah. So, so just quickly with me are some, some good people from our church. Uh, Minister Mark McLean over here, one of my, our community political liaison. This guy knows everybody. Everybody knows him. And anything you ask him to do, it's already done. That's a good man to have on your team. So he's one of my guys. I'm blessed with him. I thank God for him. And uh, next to him is Pastor Lafern. She's been with us for years. And uh, her and her husband travel with my wife and I all the time. And uh, Brother Kirk over here is one of my, my new addition to the family. Been with for a couple of years. He's going to become a deacon in a few weeks or months or year, whenever. I don't remember. <laughs> but he's in training. And next to him is our uh, brother Omar Smalls. He's the uh, deputy city manager for our city of New Rochelle. And uh, just a humble guy. He just loves to serve his pastor, travel with his pastor. And we're so grateful to have them along. And of course, the queen of my life. Everybody, please give it up <laughs> for Pastor Shirley. Do you want to come and give us a quick word of greeting? She, she just had knee surgery three weeks now, coming Monday, so she, she just likes to sit down and relax. She, she, she smiles, and her smile just lights up my world, and if I, <laughs> it does, and if I had the ability to reflect that smile back to you, I would, and maybe, you know, she can do that for you afterwards when church is over. If I tried to do it, it wouldn't come out the same way. But she's, she's, she smiles, and everybody loves her. She has a smiling and a hugging ministry at our church. Everybody talks about her hugs. In fact, I think that's what saved our church. Some people said, I wasn't going to come back, but then she met me at the door, and she hugged me, and I knew I needed to be in this church. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> it's great. All right, open your Bibles. I, uh, good to be in this house. So... Um, I'm going to try to stay behind these lights because I'm not as light-skinned as Pastor Victor. And if I, if I step out of the light, I'm afraid that you might lose me somewhere. <laughs> so I'm going to try to stay back here where the light can pick me up since people are watching. Hello to all of you who are watching by way of Facebook Live or who are streaming live. We're, it's a, I hope I can behave myself today and and honor this house and, and bless you all. <clears throat> I want you to take your Bibles out this morning. I want to use two passages of scripture to share what I think is on my heart. And I hope it comes out right. The first one is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Matthew chapter 6. I'll tell you specifically where I'm going. You just hold Deuteronomy and Matthew, and I'll tell you where I'm going. One of the things I, uh, I've been blessed with over the last, I'd say maybe 15, almost 20 years of my life, is to, to come into connection with some of God's, you know, great and humble servants. And... Uh, these men have really made an impact on my life. 
since I've been walking with them. Um, one of the things that they've impressed upon me is their ability to do things at a very, very high level for the kingdom of God. Some of these men are men that are planting and have planted thousands of churches around the world. And if, I suppose if you've planted thousands of churches, it's pretty safe to say at some point your impact will probably be in the millions and beyond. Some of them have fathered sons who have some of the largest churches in this country. Some of them have impacted their nations to the point where the government has had to stop and take notice. And as much as they try to fight the church, begin to work with the church because they recognize the power that the church had to impact community and society. Some of these men have done it with very little resources. And I've been so impressed with these men. And one of the things that, I, that they've impressed upon me is their ability to leverage whatever power God has given them, whether it's position, whether it's recognition, whether it's money. And when I say money, I'm talking about millions and millions of dollars. And to leverage that for the kingdom of God. And it, it, it's, it's like nothing. It's like, it's like you and I would simply go and spend $100 and buy groceries. To these men to invest a million or several million dollars in a project for the kingdom of God. It's like, it's like you and I just going to Costco and picking up some groceries and going home. And I look at these guys and I said, how, how do you get to that place in your life? You know, where God, number one, can trust you with so much. You know, how do you get to that place in your life where it's so easy for you and we're not, without breaking a sweat to just move money around and, and, and do things that impact the world for God? I don't know about you, but for me, these men are superstars. And though they're quite humble and they would not like me saying this about them, I'm telling you, they have literally, knowing these men have changed my life, they've changed my perspective why? Because when I look at these men, I think about what I'm going to share today. Jesus talks about laying up treasures in heaven. I tell you, these guys got buku treasures in heaven. And my jealousy, my own jealousy, if I could use that word to describe my feeling, is I long for that. I don't just want to get through this life, people, you know, I, and have a decent funeral, you know. I long for that. I, I want to do something and some things during my lifetime. I, these men started the same way we all start. They didn't start with money. They didn't start being, by being known or being recognized. But by being faithful, God raised them to that place. And I tell you, I want that. How about you? Do you want to be one of those people that say, I make a difference. I have made a difference. I will make a difference. I am going to make sure that whatever I have or don't have in this world, I'm investing in heaven. Amen. I'm investing in the kingdom of God. So that's where I'm going to go today. My task is to simply drive some truth home to you. And I want to use these two portions of scripture I think that these truths, if received and nurtured, will transform you. It will transform this church. 
It will make you into that difference making church without limits. Without limits. Whatever God said to you, Pastor Victor, he has said to your congregation. And I want, I didn't know you were going to be saying all this stuff, but it's perfect because I want to invest something in you that's going to help you to become that church. I, I want to say that, that I'm encouraged when I look at what God's doing in my life because I remember my humble beginnings when I started here at Calvary. I remember if I don't have time, I won't get into it. And then I, I don't want to boast, but what God is doing in my city and in my community through our humble church, if you had asked me several years ago, did I ever even think I would be where I am doing what I, I would say, only God knows, you know? I would never say, I don't believe that. I would simply say, only God knows. That's the best faith statement I can say sometimes when I think, because only God knows, but I want to tell you, I am speaking to you something that I'm living right now, because I'm on a quest to make sure that when I leave here, Pastor Victor, the world's going to know that I was here. I want to leave some footprints, and the world is going to know when I'm no longer here, that, hey, man, there was a guy named Ray Mott that he was here. That would mean that I would have left something here that people can still, that will outlive me, that people can still step into and say, this is because of that man's sacrifice. It's because of that man's generosity with his time and with his resources and with whatever God gave him, why this is. Not just in my city, but I'm talking about on a global scale. That there will be people stepping into things and saying, thank God for Calvary. Thank God for Pastor Victor's vision. Thank God for whoever it is that came alongside him and said, yes, we want to be a part of what God's doing. We want to be remembered when his epitaph is written as the supporting cast that came alongside him and held up his hands. Moses would not have overcome at Rephidim if it wasn't for Aaron and her. How many of you know that there were some folk in the church that have to be that for all of us? They don't get talked about. They're the supporting cast. But every one of you who would do and, and behave, and as we were going to teach you here today, I'm going to tell you, you will be counted alongside him. So with that, I want to ask you to turn to me. Let's look at the Old Testament first. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 3 through 6, and uh, this is the old uh, reference that it was called the Shema. <clears throat> it says, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. And here is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them to your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Turn to Matthew 6, 19 
Hear, O Israel. Hear, church, what the Lord is saying. For what applies to Israel applies to the church. You are known as the Israel of God. And that is not replacement theology. That is engraftment theology. It is in the Bible. What God said to Israel in this Shema applies to everyone that would call upon Yahweh. It is the same God and he has the same heart's desire for you. What does he say? He says to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Matthew 6, 19 through 24, he says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Are we good so far? And here is an, here's, here's the thing. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So... Moses is telling us God wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, and strength. And Jesus is saying, he's, he's pointing us towards something we need to see, that there is an inextricable connection between your heart and your treasure. So if I want to give this a title today, your heart, your treasure. Your heart your treasure. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you. You are the Lord of the church. You are the Lord of us all. We have all been born again, begotten into a lively hope, purchased by your blood. We are your people, holy people, chosen generation called forth to show forth your praises in the earth, even as Israel was called to declare your praises in their time. Open our hearts to receive, our eyes to perceive, and our minds to conceive. Even as we hear the word of the Lord today, may we not be indifferent, but may we be shaken. May we be transformed, even again, in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Let amen. Can we say amen like we mean it? Amen. Now I feel like I'm in church. So the first scripture, I'm going to just take my time and teach today. I'm going to try to behave myself. I get excited and I go off and then I forget what time it is. And I want to be true to the time. Uh, so the first thing I want to talk about today is go back to the, the Old Testament text. And I want to show you something there. And the first truth I want to impress upon you or re-impress because you know this already. This is nothing new. And it is that God wants our total devotion. Would you say this with me? God wants, God wants my, total my total devotion. Say it by yourself now. You said that like you believed it. Do you really believe it? Because it's true. We know this, right? Well, let me break this down to you, taking it from the Shema, verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. And then he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So the first thing when we talk about loving God, 
is that God wants us to love Him with all our hearts. He wants your heart, people. He wants your heart because your heart is a place of your devotion. It's where the love flows from. All the warm and fuzzy feelings that connect us emotionally to a person, to our spouses, where that makes us sacrifice, that makes us go above and beyond ourselves. He cares that there's an emotional connection. There is a strong force that drives us and our devotion towards Him. It's not to be indifferent or to just be, you know, que sera, sera, but there is a sense where God wants there to be a heart response and a devotion of our heart. Why? Because the Bible says that the heart is a place from which also the issues of life flow. And so there's a place where we need to understand that if we don't love him with all our hearts, that other things will eventually fill any space or vacant space in your heart that you're not filling with him. And then once that happens, you will find that your, your loyalty and your devotion to God becomes divided, much like Israel of old. They were still trying to go through the ritual of doing the holy days and the new moon celebrations and all the stuff that the Bible, the ordinance says, and they went through that. But on the other side of their lives, they were also committed to Baal and Molech and the gods of the land that he told them, don't do what they do. But they were just going through the motions, but in their heart there was a division, there was a battle for the heart of God's people. And in our time today, it is no different. We don't know Molech and Baal and these other gods, but they're still alive. There is a God called Mammon. There's a God of pleasure. There's a God of money. There's, there, are, there are gods that war for your heart and for mine in this time. We're no different than Israel. And so what God said to them, love me with all your heart. Don't leave any room. So you say, well, if I love God with all my heart, what room is there to love other people? Good question. If you love God with all your heart, then God's love will spill over from you to other people. And that's a better deal than the love you can muster up for people. Because let me be honest with you, I don't always feel like loving people. Ooh, I shouldn't have said that because I'm a pastor. But if God's love fills my heart, I don't have to worry about how do I love my wife. She benefits from the overflow of the love of God that is in my heart. That's a better deal. It's a better deal. It's a better deal. She will love you more, brothers and sisters. He will love you more. So don't be afraid to love God with all your heart. Because if you don't, something is warring for your affection. Something is warring to get your heart. And I'm going to show you why. It's a dangerous thing to let anything else get in your heart. Then he says, love God with all your soul. If you, if you, if you, if you have been Hellenized, that is if you've been, your thinking has been, been informed and impacted like most of us, by Greek thinking, 
Platonic dualism, when you think of the soul, you think of the soul as something you possess. But if you think Hebrew, Hebraically, the soul is not something you possess. It is what you are. It is what you are. The, the, the Hebrew word for soul is nefesh. Nefesh. And in Hebrew, it refers to the total physical being. The idea then is not that you, is, you don't have a soul, but that you are a soul. God refers to you as a living soul. It's the total person. It's not something that's a part of you. It's the totality of who you are. So, so God then says, love me with your heart, with your emotions, with your passion, and love me with the totality of your being. Love me, all of you, just your body, everything that you are, everything that if you have position, if you have prestige, if you have power, it's all a part of your package. Love me with that. God is not divorced from the success you're having in the corporate world. He's not divorced from the promotion that you just received. He's not divorced from any of your accomplishments. It's all a part of the who you are. It's a part of your nefesh that you're supposed to be saying that all of that is yours. And then he said, love me with your strength. Strength in the Hebrew it doesn't mean what we think. It's not look at this bicep strength or look at these pecs strength. It's not strength as in strong. The word that the Bible uses when it says, love me with your strength, it's meod, M-E-O-D, meod. And the word literally is a word that is used to emphasize things. For instance, if I wanted to say my wife was very beautiful, I would say she's meod, beautiful. If I wanted to say she's very, very beautiful, I would say she is meod, meod, beautiful. So meod is a word that is used to mean very so when God says, love me with your strength, what he's literally saying is, love me with your very muchness. Oh, y'all don't hear me. Love me with, if you miss loving God with your heart, if you miss loving God with your soul, here he comes and said, don't get it twisted. Just so you don't miss it, love me with your very muchness. Oh, what does that mean? What does it mean? It is, means what you think it means. Love him to the full. Love him to the max. Love him anyhow you can. As much as you can. Anyhow you can. Love him anyhow you can think of loving him. Love your God. Love him. So he wants your total devotion. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, here's another truth I want to show you why he wants your devotion. Abundance can be the most powerful enemy of your devotion to God. Say this with me. Abundance, Abundance. can be the most powerful enemy of my devotion to God. It is not to say that abundance is wrong, but you need to understand abundance. Listen, it is no coincidence. Somebody say context. If you look at the context in which God speaks these words to his people, you will see that it's not a coincidence. Right? The moment he chooses to 
speak these words to the Israelites is just when they were about to come into what he promises them. He says to them that you are about to enter into a land of abundance. The way the Bible phrases it is that you are about to come into a land flowing with milk and honey. When I hear that, used to be when I was a child, when I heard that, I thought there were rivers of milk just flowing through the valley. And if you wanted some milk, you just go and dip your cup and you just get some milk. And you all just stand there in the morning just having fellowship, just dipping your cup and drinking milk. I said, man, that must have been some land. And then when you wanted to get a little sweetness in the milk, well, there's a honey river over there. You just go over there and dip your cup and just drink. And it was honey and milk and honey and milk. It was just, my mind was not there. It took me till I got old. And the Bible says, when I was a child, I thought as a child. Somebody said, I was just thinking that still, Pastor. I was, <laughs> let me help you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Let me help you. It's just an expression that means plenty means abundance. There was milk in the cows. And you had to go to the honeycomb to get the honey. And you could get stung by bees, but that would be your problem. God said, I put the honey there. You figure out how to get it. But watch this. God is telling them this as he's about to bring them into abundance. It is not a coincidence, by the way. It is precise the precise moment that God felt his people needed to remind them. And so he says, these are the commandments and decrees and laws that the Lord your God has directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing to the Jordan to possess. In other words, I am about to expose you to more than you've ever had. Do not forget, I want your heart. Why? Because God knows that abundance is one of the quickest ways for him to lose you. Nothing wrong with abundance. But you need to understand this about it. And it's the same reason why Jesus warns his followers. When he said in Matthew. You can't serve God and money. You can have both. But you can't serve both. So if you're going to have both you got to decide which one is going to be your master. Because if you're a Christian and you're trying to serve God and serve money, you have a problem. You, my brothers and sisters, might just have a problem. Of course, you know, if you know your Bible, Israel didn't listen. If you know your Bible... Israel got in the land, and shortly after, I don't know how many you read through your Bible every year, and you're a little bit more familiar now with the narrative of Scripture. Israel didn't last long. And for their entire history, there were, they, for almost their entire history, there was, they, they, first they divided the north from the south because the north wanted to remain faithful to, to the, 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 the gods, that, uh, the, the calf, the bull. Rehoboam, they had their own thing. And the guys in the south had their own, you know, temples erected to Baal. And it, it, they, they, the entire nation was corrupt. There was only a remnant of Israelites that were true to God. 
a few clans, a few people that stood out as exceptional. For the most part, Israel as a nation rebelled against God. And as soon as they got into the land of abundance, they started giving credit to the gods of the land for the abundance and not the God who brought them into it. Catch this. Catch this. Here's a correlation. I've watched people in the church come in broken. I've watched people come in the church, maybe not busted and broke, but, but broken in emotional ways, broken in that they're lost and confused. And I've watched them come and grow and get Jesus in their lives. And I've watched God build them up. And I've watched them come from being confused and uncertain of themselves to becoming confident. And the leaders came out in them. And they began to prosper. And they began to get blessed on their job. They began to experience promotion. And when they came into true success... The church was no longer good enough for them. Oh, how about grown the church? The same pastor who poured into you. The same pastor who took the time to, to come alongside you and help you. Help you walk through those tough seasons of your life. Suddenly you become wealthy. Suddenly you, you've been promoted. You're, you're walking with big people on the job. Oh, those, those I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, to, to be associated with that little church anymore because, because all of a sudden I'm, I'm at a different level. My status has increased and I'm, I'm way beyond that church now. So, 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 so I'm just going to figure out what I'm going to do with my life and all that God has given me rather than go back to the kingdom and the glory and everything. It, it goes someplace else. I can sit here and tell you from now till tomorrow how many musicians grew up singing worship in their church. As soon as they got little fame, the what? Church. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I used to go to church. So I got my little Jesus thing. On the side, on the side. I, I pray before I go on stage. But none of the glory goes to him. Y'all missed that. None of the glory goes to him. You know why? Because there are gods in the land. That says, if you're going to live in this land and be wealthy and famous in this land, you've got to bow to us. And musicians and artists and people in Hollywood are now realizing that's the cold, hard truth. If you want to be successful in Hollywood, if you want to be successful in the music industry, you've got to bow down to the God of that industry. And it is not Jesus. And so Christians then decide, well, I want the money and I want the fame. And so they bow. And in doing that, they might think that they still have a little thing in their heart for Jesus. But what you have done is exactly what Israel did. They used God to get out of Egypt. But when they got into the promised land, they said, Jeho, Jehu. They were giving their babies to be burned sacrificially to Baal. And they were worshiping gods that demanded the blood of their children. And they couldn't see why God had a problem. If you read your Bible and you go through your Old Testament and you are mad at God when you hear him tell, tell them through the prophets what he's going to do to them, you miss the story. Go back. Go back a little further in your Bible and realize that they had done enough to tick God off for long enough that when God sends a prophet to tell them, now I'm going to do some stuff to you, don't get mad at God for being judgmental. How much do you think his heart can take? Yeah. 
when he's been so good. Beyonce, you better come back over here, girl. Come back to us. All of you artists who left the church and who are big now, and instead of your treasures building the kingdom, you're building another kingdom. Come back over here. Because above the gods of this world stands the God. To him we must all answer. Oh, I got to move on. It happened to Israel because they didn't protect their hearts. They didn't fill their hearts with love for Yahweh. And because they didn't fill their hearts for the God who brought them out of Egypt and brought them into plenty, soon as plenty came, they was like, Yahoo! And you know the rest of the history. It's not pretty. Third thing. Notice this, because I need to address this. I'm not here to curse abundance. I want it. I believe in it. How many believe in abundance? God didn't just want to expose them to abundance. He wanted them to flourish and increase in it from generation to generation. Hear what he said. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, listen, that it may go well with you and that you may what? Increase greatly. Where? In the land flowing with milk and honey. I'm not just putting you in front of abundance. I want you to flourish in the abundance and I want you to have it for generations to come. Oh, I felt the anointing right there. God isn't just dropping you. You ever seen those game shows where they put you inside this booth? It's a glass booth and they'd start blowing all this money and you have about a minute to grab as much as you can. You were surrounded with abundance, but you only have a minute and you're grabbing everything frantically and you're just trying to snatch and it's all kind of hundreds and twenties and fives, but you don't know what you're grabbing and when the minute is up, you got to come out there with whatever you have in your hand and when you look, you thought, my God, I was in there with thousands of dollars and all I have is $86 in my hand. That ain't what God is doing to you. I'm not just dropping you in front of opportunity. I want you to seize it. I want to teach you how to flourish and increase in it. Now you may have read the Shema, but you missed that one. Shema, oh church. Shema means listen and obey. It doesn't just mean hear. It means listen and do. Do you Shema? When you say amen, you're saying, I got it and I'm going to do it. Make sense? So I'm not here to tell you that God has a problem with abundance. God has a problem when his people don't understand what to do with abundance. Because the fact is, it's either you're going to be the God of your money or your money is going to become the God of you. It's either you're going to be the God of your prestige and your power or your prestige and your power are going to become the God of you. You decide who's go- who you're going to worship. Oh, Jesus. So listen, God doesn't just want to expose you to plenty. He's not going to pull a joke on you and put you in a glass booth 
with all that money. No, you ain't going to be able to grab that much in your fist in a minute. He says, I want you to increase in it. So whatever, 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 wherever you enter abundance, a year from now, I should find you living in even more abundance. And five or ten years from that, I, wanna, I should be able to experience you even more established. And when your children come along, that abundance, that should be something that they walk right into and continue to take it. Because how many of you know your kids will take it to the next level? So he says, teach this to your children because I want this for you and I want it for them and for their children's children also. In other words, what God gives you, he wants you to have that for generation and generation to come. We've got to bring generational thinking towards prosperity. I'm not a prosperity preacher. I'm a progress preacher. But hear what I'm telling you today. We've got to bring a generational thinking. We've got to progress from generation to generation. We've got to plan. We've got to pray. And we've got to think about not just what God is giving me now. But how can I maximize this so that it will last beyond me? Oh, my time, my time, my time. My time. So that's what we learn from the Shema and what God's will and his desire was for his people. And I'm saying, people, it is no different for you and for me. He still wants your heart. But I'm afraid we miss it. We don't understand the money treasure principle. I didn't come here to preach prosperity to you because I don't have the right to promise you anything that God didn't. I don't have to sit here and and give you some kind of gimmick to make you give. I didn't come here to take an offering. I come here to teach you something very fundamental about the inextricable connection between your treasure and your heart. Because if you you didn't hear what I said, if you missed it, before I go to, to Matthew, hear me. What happened to Israel was they missed the very thing that I come to tell you today. When God said, love me with your whole self, he meant everything that is yours, everything about you is his. Don't separate anything that God has done in your life from him. It's all God. That promotion, it is God. That new house, it is God. Your investment portfolio looking good these days, it is God. Because it didn't have to be that way. Jesus, come on, praise him for a minute. So jump over to Matthew, and I got to finish with this. Lord, please help me. I'm trying to do justice here to your word. Hallelujah. Okay, so. Here Jesus comes along and he says these things, which I want to bring up some truth from. He says, do not, st- do not store up. Before I finish that sentence, let me interrupt myself and tell you. What Jesus is doing is he's telling people in his time and he's telling us in this church today how to avoid the trap that Israel fell into. He was speaking to Israel in, in his generation, in that historical context, Because by that time in history, Israel was so far from God. They were now inhabited by Romans. And some of them were having to bow down and call Caesar their God, their Lord. 
And he came to speak truth to them into that historical context of them being in captivity, being a, a, a nation has to answer to Rome's sovereignty. God didn't create them to live in captivity. God didn't create them to be living under the heavy taxation and under Roman rule. But so it was because they had not obeyed. So Jesus comes to them and he's telling them, this is, this is your problem and here's, you need to get back to this. It, would, would it surprise you that Jesus spent at least 25% of his teachings dealing with issues of the heart having to do with finances and greed and possession? Would it surprise you? I, I don't think I've ever preached money in this church, and I don't think that's what I'm doing today, but I, I do want to give you a, a, a kingdom template for how you ought to understand yourself and your connection to the church of God and what God is doing. This man just told me that he left the world system. He stopped taking money from his boss, which I'm sure was good money, and he just said that he's about to dedicate himself to fully pastor this church. And I'm asking you, and I'm asking you while I know already that whatever God needs for any house to be what it needs to be is already in that house. But I'm asking you today, do you think that this man, because he has done that, should suffer financially? That he should suffer loss because of that choice? That he should be punished because, uh, well, who told you to quit your job? Well, God did. I'm saying, church, do we understand this? You know, years ago when I quit my job to go full-time in ministry, I suffered loss. They came and repossessed the first brand new car I've ever owned. I was suffering for Jesus. And I had to, I had to go back. I had, well, I let them take the car because I couldn't pay for it. So it's called a voluntary repossession. Thank you, Pastor Sherry. She just blew up my game. But I let them take it because I couldn't pay for it anymore. I had my kids in a private school in Yonkers. I had to take them out of private school and put them in public school. We went from eating meat every day to only on weekends. It was beans and rice. Hallelujah. We went through. I went through. And when I took counsel with a wiser pastor, a more established pastor, he told me, you should never quit your job and, you know, because your children. He said, you may not mind the sacrifices, but it's, it does violence to your children. And I almost lost my two oldest children because of it. Because I wasn't thinking. I was all in with Jesus. I'm going to sacrifice as long as they don't take my house, hallelujah, I'll be all right. I can pay my mortgage. I'll suffer for Jesus. Well, my kids weren't signing up for that. And he said, never do that. He says, you ought to understand that your church has to be able to carry, and I know this is a generous church, but I just want to remind you on this particular occasion, and thank you for saying that, that this is, this is, your pastor should never have to be sitting here wondering if he can make his car payments. Now, disgrace on the church. It would be sad. All right. Oh, so so let me let me let me tell you. So Jesus speaks these things. And here's what he says. And I want you to hear this. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So here's my word for you there. Save, invest, be shrewd with your money, put it to work for you so that it grows and increases with time. That's that's something you ought to do. Jesus is not saying it's wrong to save. All right. Enjoy what you have worked for. Pursue your dreams. But here's what Jesus says. Don't take the attitude that it's all for you. He says, do not store up treasures for yourself. So it's yours because you're the steward of it. It's yours because God entrusted you with it. But anytime you begin to think of what you have, it's mine, mine, it's all mine, you're in trouble with God. Anytime you believe that everything that passes through your hand is mine, mine, and it's all mine, you are in trouble with God. 
I'm not here to chastise anyone today, but please hear me well. Let me just drop this in the pill here for you. This is why a lot of people really have a struggle with tithing because they think it's mine, man, and it's all mine, and they really can't see why God says the tithe belongs to me. Well, that's outdated. We're in the 21st century. God is still God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not about being legalistic. It's the principle of teaching you the importance of stewardship. Tithing isn't there to make you poor. It's there to make you rich. Tithing isn't there because God is needy. Tithing is there to help you be a better you. What's the problem in our culture today? What is it? It's greed. It's selfishness. It's me, me, me. Why are we all in debt? It's me. It's me, me, me. It's more. It's more, more, more. We don't understand the basic and simple principle of God, you have blessed me. And I want to be faithful to honor you. And I'm going to trust you with my future. If you want to bless me and promote me, I'm just going to be faithful in my work, faithful in my church, faithful in my giving, and I'm going to leave the rest to you, God. But we, 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 we have a struggle living like that, but I want to tell you, when you live like that, your heart will never depart from God. Because every day you have to trust Him, and everything that God does, you've got to be involving God. The problem is we try to keep God out of too much of our lives. Oh, God. Second thing Jesus said, but store up treasures for yourself in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, invest in the work that God is doing in the earth. The vehicle that he gives you to do that, first and foremost, not exclusively, but first and foremost, primarily is through your church. I remember that thing with Cindy Jacobs. I got chills when he reminded me of it. I've had moments like that in my life because God has marked this church for significance. It is, in other words, God is telling you when a man says, I'm leaving my place of employment where I was making good money to come and invest myself, the stock of this church has just risen. That's like, that's, that's like, that's like one of the best leaders in the tech industry leaving their company, leaving Google and coming to work for your company. Your company just gained significance. Your stock value just went up because of the quality of leadership that has said, I'm coming to invest my gifts and talents full-time into this company. Does that make sense? (laughs) So your stock is rising. And what God spoke to years ago that's been on hold is going to begin right now. As you step into this full season and as you pour what you have into this church and as this church responds, it's going to happen. It's going to begin to happen. And I'm excited that I'm still here to see it all with my own eyes. Just hit somebody with you and tell them, invest in this. The stock is rising. Your stock is rising, Calvary. If I left my church and a person of questionable leadership skills and character came to take over my church, everybody would know that my church is where? It's going down. As long as I maintain my integrity and a high reputation, as long as I'm at the helm of my church, my stock is going to do what? It's going to go up. Because right now, last I checked, Mott's name was doing pretty good. Y'all, indulge me for a minute, will you? I've behaved myself, so my, my name is still good, is what I'm saying. This man's integrity is intact. Your stock is rising. 
Oh, oh, help me, Jesus. I got, I got, I got to finish. So invest in the work. Because here's the thing that Jesus said, and here's the heart of this message, and I can try to go out with this. Why do you invest in the work? Why do you invest in your local church? Why do you invest and give your gifts? Why do you express your love for God? You're loving him with your heart, soul, and strength through the local church. It is because of this reason. Jesus said, because where your treasure is, we get it twisted. He said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. We got it backwards. We believe that where your treasure is, or where your heart is rather, your treasure will be. Jesus twists that for us in an exciting and different way that we need to consider. He says, where your treasure goes, your heart follows. What does he mean by that? Well, case in point. I just recently started learning about cryptocurrency. How many of you know about cryptos? Didn't know about cryptos before. It's an exciting thing. Bitcoin has made a few people rich. They're a little bit down right now. But I never got up thinking about Bitcoin. I never went to bed thinking about Bitcoin until I bought some. You should see how many articles a day I'm reading. <laughs> Man, I'm getting emails from everybody. Bitcoin this, Bitcoin that. See this workshop coming up at 12. Going to tell you about where Bitcoin is going. I'm all over it now, man. I'm studying the whole world of crypto because why? I have invested in crypto. So now I care. I care what happens. I care where it goes. Why? Because my money's there. <laughs> it's no different with your church. It's no different with the kingdom. When you invest in the kingdom of God, your heart stays focused on the kingdom. If you put money in a horse, you're going to watch your horse. Come on. Don't, don't go to OTB. Don't go to OTB. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, but you're going to watch. If you bet on a game, you're going to watch that game, right? You're going to root, right? Why? Because you have invested your treasure in it, so your heart is following it. Jesus said, don't get it twisted. It's not even about your emotions so much when it comes to giving. It's about being calculated and understanding that the way that you keep your heart connected to my kingdom is to support and build my kingdom with your wealth. Hallelujah. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Because Jesus knows that we can deceive ourselves, he says this thing, which seems totally disconnected from the rest of the text, but it's not. It's not, because it's sandwiched by the last thing that he says in that section. He says, the eye is a lamp of the body, and if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Why does he sandwich that in there? And then he ends in verse 24 by saying, No one can serve two masters. Either he will love one and hate the other, and so forth and so on. So you see, it's not a disconnected thought, but it seems unrelated. What, what does it mean? Thank you for asking. I believe that Jesus knows that we can deceive ourselves when we hear truth about kingdom and stewardship. So this has to do with your ability to perceive the power that is inherent within the word of Jesus. Okay? There are many Christ followers who are deceived about what stewardship is or where it even begins. There are few who can't even receive teachings about generosity or tithing or any form of giving in the church. 
but they think their hearts are devoted to God because they can cry in church from time to time during the worship service. In reality, what they are really trying to do is to serve two masters. So Jesus blows them up by saying, you can't do that. He says, he says your eye is the place that light enters. Light is, is symbolic of truth in the scripture and darkness is symbolic of ignorance or deception or lies. So he said that there are people who think they've got a revelation or that they understand this thing that I'm telling you about storing up treasures, you're, you're laying up treasures in heaven. They're deceived. They've deceived themselves into thinking that they've got this down pat, that they already have a revelation. I have a pastor that I mentor in a city near Miami up in Westchester called me up one day and said, there are problems in my church. And I said, what has happened? He said, pastor, you would not believe this. But he said, I gave, this, gave the microphone on a Sunday morning to a woman to, <laughs> to say a little word before we receive the offering because I'm training. So it's a church plant and I'm training my ministers how to do stuff. And so she gets up and she says she has a revelation from God that tithing is not of God. I said, what did you do? <laughs> Whatever he told me he did, I said, you didn't act quickly enough. I would have jumped up there and snatched the mic out of her hand and said, sit down, please. You want to make a scene? Sit down. You're not going to embarrass me in my church. Sit down. And I would fix, I would, I would quickly bring the word of God to bear because you can't sit there and tell me that you are so confident that God told you that tithing is not of him. Who are you? What Bible are you reading? Now, why am I mentioning this? Because half of that fledgling congregation walked out the church with her and devastated that pastor and his wife after they had built the church for two years and it was just beginning to take shape. I said, listen, let me tell you, don't ever put the mic in people's hands that you don't know. You and your wife build a church so you can train some sons and daughters. You don't owe it to anybody in the church talking about, I've got a word. No, we need to talk in my office first. It can wait. You're going to wait till Sunday morning to tell me you have a word? I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't know you. And, and Jesus said, be careful that what you think you know, the light that you think you have is not really darkness. What culture has fed you, the cynicism and all the doubt that they've built up in your heart. Don't go around thinking that you have some level of wisdom because no matter how much wisdom you have, God is never going to change his heart or his mind about what he has spoken. So your revelation cannot supersede the revelation of scripture. So Jesus said, be careful that what you think is light isn't really darkness because that would be a problem. And really the one who loses is you. So he said, lay up your treasures in heaven. And he says, you can't try, be trying to serve two masters. Don't be caught up in that conflict. It's a difficult one for you to win. Just love the Lord. How? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your, with all your strength. 